Okay, like uh, Andy said, we're starting or jumping back into a series that we've entitled uh, Love Everybody and Always. And in this series, I'm introducing us to, as a church to our care counselor pastor, okay, John Clements. I want you to listen to John this morning about relationships. Well, hello and good morning again, and welcome to round two of the Marriage Points. So today I want to talk to you about the number one thing that seems to present problems in marriage. I'm asked all the time, John, what is it that is the number one thing that goes wrong in marriage? And from all the couples I've worked with, it's very obvious. It's your spouse. <laughs> I hear it all the time. My spouse this, my spouse that. I married the wrong person. So, evidently, just get rid of your spouse and your marriage will be fine. <laughs> well, I don't think that's going to work. But what I look at and what I see, when married couples come and they talk to me about being married to the wrong people, I look at them and say, well, I think maybe you're being the wrong person. You see, Paul points this out in Ephesians chapter 5, where he talks about outlines what is a good example of a biblical family. In verse 21, he starts out with, submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. Or as I would say it, in the name of Jesus, submit one to another. That's the first key. Because when you have both people putting each other first, then you move forward together. It's about self-abandonment. It's about putting yourself behind and supporting your spouse. Paul goes on farther in that passage to say, as he closes it out, he says, Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, that's key. Love your wives. And the second thing he said was, Wives, respect your husbands. Because wives, all husbands want is little respect. Hey, thank you. Put it in practice and be blessed. See you next week. That is good. If you haven't gotten to know John, uh, he's a great guy. Need insights. Love is wit. He's on our staff. So we are here to serve, okay? And we got a number of things we're going to be rolling out this year. The way of singles and the way of marriage. We're just working on things. So uh, hold your horses. We'll get there. Don't forget the third most important message of the whole year is what message? Mother's Day message, okay? Christmas, Easter, and then there's Mother's Day. Don't forget to go out there, sign a note to your mom, okay? Write it, take a Facebook picture, go for it, because moms are important here. Can't wait for next week. Well, we're going to talk today about the most common destroyer of love in relationships. And it's going to be a shocker to you, okay? Because it isn't anger. It's not impatience, it's not apathy or unkindness, it's envy. We're, we're going to take a look as we continue in 1 uh, Corinthians 13 at the verse 4. Love is not envious. You see, it's absolutely impossible to, to be envious and love someone at the same time. Now the question that arises is this, what is envy? Well, envy is a twofold thing. 
Envy is resenting God's goodness to others, and it is ignoring God's goodness to me. In fact, it's what's behind most other sins. James 3.16 says this, wherever there is envy, you will find every kind of evil. Now, folks, that is our memory verse for this week. Last week, it was the golden rule, Matthew 7.12, do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. The week before that was 1 Corinthians 14.1. I've kept all these really short for us, okay? Uh, Let love be your greatest aim. This week, and this seems a little strange to have a verse uh, like this about love, but this is important. Whatever, wherever there is envy, you will find every kind of evil. Now, when I read a verse like that, that kind of intrigues me. In fact, it intrigued me so much that I came up a list, kind of an A through Z list of, of, of sins that envy is the foundation of. Anorexia. People starve themselves because they're envious of skinny people. Bitterness. We resent people and things that we wish we had achieved. Complaining, conflict, dishonesty. Exaggeration is one. People overstate their accomplishments because they're envious of the person that they're speaking with. Gossip is another one. We, we, we build ourselves up, okay, and tear other people down, oftentimes out of envy. Hypocrisy, we kiss up the people that we envy. Insecurity, judgmentalism, murder. Do you realize that mur- the first homicide mentioned in the Bible was out of envy? In fact, the Bible goes on and it says, envy makes you and I worriers and workaholics. Let me read this verse. It's out of, e- the, uh, out of Ecclesiastes, from the preacher of Ecclesiastes. I- I've learned why people work so hard to succeed. It's because they envy the things their neighbors have. Solomon mentions it in Proverbs 14.30. He says, you know what? Envy is like rottenness to the bones. In other words, it's like bone cancer. It will eat you alive, and it will eat your relationships alive. Well, that's not very pretty, is it? No, not at all. Is it worth it to be envious? Absolutely not. Folks, nothing destroys relationships faster than envy. Nothing will destroy your marriage, your family, your business, this nation faster than envy. It is one destructive sin. And my question is this. Paul says, make sure, love, that you're not envious because love is not envious. How do we route it out of our lives? Because, folks, we live in a culture filled full of envy. Would you agree with that? I want what you have. I want more than you have. I want it now. And by the way, I'm willing to take it from you to get it. So how do you and I route envy out of our relationships, out of our lives and our relationships? Well, sometimes you learn what to do by learning what not to do. And Jesus shares a story in Matthew 20 of some people who did it the wrong way. I call it the Occupation Wall Street story, okay? He tells a story of a farmer who hires five groups of day laborers. He hires this first group early in the morning, and he sets the wage for them for the whole day. He says to them, I will give you one dollar for a whole day's worth of work. That was pretty good wages back then, okay? The other 
groups, the four other groups that come, he doesn't set a wage for them. He just says, I will pay you what is fair because he kind of hires them throughout the day. He doesn't agree on a price. At the end of the day, he decides to pay them from the last hired to the first. And he decides, you know what, I'm going to pay all of you the same wage, a dollar. And that ticked off the first hired, the first group of day laborers. They felt, they, they felt that the last hired didn't deserve a dollar. I mean, they only worked a few, a few hours. We've worked all day. And out of this story, Jesus shares five antidotes to envy. The first one is this. Stop comparing yourself to others. If you want to get envy out of your life and out of your relationship, stop comparing yourself to others. Comparing is at the root of envy. Take a look at Matthew 29. Or Matthew 20, verse 10. Those hired last came up and were each given a dollar. And when those who were hired first saw that, they assumed that they would get far more. You see, this first group started to to assume through comparison, you know what? Look what they got. We're going to get more. In fact, we deserve more, okay? And they started comparing. The Bible says over and over and over again, don't compare. The Bible says it's stupid. It's foolish. You never should compare you, the way you look, your income, your intelligence, your kids, your spouse, your job. The Bible says don't do that. And it says don't do that for a number of reasons. One is that for yourself, you are a unique individual, right? When God made you, they broke the mold. And the people next to you say, praise the Lord. The other reason is that it'll lead you to sin. It'll either lead you to pride or it'll lead you to discouragement and envy. Folks, when you compare yourself like your yard lawn to your neighbor's lawn, right now it's green. You've put on the fertilizer. It's brightening up. You look at your neighbor's yards. It's got weeds in it. You go, my yard better than your yard. I know. Okay, I've driven down some of your neighborhoods. I've got to watch out for envy myself. But it just leads to pride. But when you see someone else's yard or lawn that's better than yours, you think about getting up in the middle of the night with Roundup and spraying their whole yard full of it, okay? Comparing leads to sin. It'll either lead to pride or it'll lead to discouragement and eventually envy. Now, what I have discovered in almost 40 years of ministry is that we envy a lot of people because we don't know their backstory. We don't know what their life is really like. We don't know the sacrifices that they made to get to where they're at. We, 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 don't, we don't know the pain, the brokenness, the woundedness. And so as a result, we envy them. I'm reading a business magazine called Inc. 500. Have you ever heard that magazine? It's about the five fastest, or five... Uh, the 500 fastest growing uh, companies in America. And I am reading this article about this guy who has four top 500 companies and how he juggles this and how he juggles that and how he juggles this over there. And as I'm reading this, I'm going, man, I'd really like to learn from this guy. And I begin to feel a little envious until I read this next part. This wasn't the first time 
Becker's gotten the cold shoulder. At this point in his life, the entrepreneur has had as many wives as he has had company. The first marriage lasted for two years. The second lasted for about six months. He said, I used to count <clears throat> anniversaries by months so I could get it into double digits. And all of a sudden, as I'm reading this story, I said, I'm not, I'm not going to envy that guy. Because God looks at this guy and says, you know what? I hate to tell you this, but you're a failure. The Bible makes it pretty clear that what matters in life are not your accomplishments, but rather it is your relationships. And it costs this guy four marriages to build four companies. And God comes along and says, you're foolish. Why? Because when you and I get to heaven, God isn't going to ask you how many successful business deals that you've done. He's going to ask you, how did you do in your relationships? Why? Because God put you on earth to love. That's his primary reason he put you on earth. Is to learn how to love. And so every, or envy, so every envy occurs when you and I don't know the backstories of other people's lives. When we just look from a distance and we see their successes. But only when you get up close and you see the warts and all, that you see their flops, failures, and fumbles, that you see that they're normal people, that you see their hidden wounds and brokenness, that all of a sudden, hmm, I'm not so sure. But we're a culture that likes to be relationally distant through social media, aren't we? Today, because of social media and because of living our lives at a distance, we idolize, we worship celebrities, don't we? In fact, if you ask the common person on the street, hey, who's your, who's your number one hero? More than likely, they will name a celebrity or a sports star. They're probably not a hero in my definition. So I want you to write this down. Nobody is as cool as they appear. They may look great on the outside. They may look like they got it all together, but they don't. Nobody is as happy as they seem to be. Nobody is carefree, is as, as satisfied as they seem to be. These celebrities that we gawk at, that we read about, that, that we worship from a distance, oftentimes have more pain in their soul because of the glare of the spotlight that is on them. And if you and I knew the backdrop of their stories, I doubt if we'd envy them. There's a new couple that joined our community group a couple of years ago, Andrea and Lee. And Andrea made this profound statement. She said, you know what? If we put, all put our problems in the center of this room and we all were able to look at them and study them, my guess is that we would all leave tonight with the same problems that we put down. You see, you don't have grace for other people's problems. The, the, those people that you and I envy from a distance, do you really want what they have? My guess is you don't. Even in God's sovereignty, he has tailor-made the problems that you have, and they are just right for you. He's made your cross perfect for you. 
And so I say this, the first antidote to really dealing with envy is to get to know people. It's to get to know their backstories. It's to live in biblical community so that you can get to know other people so that you can pray for them. Biblical community binds people together and it helps us to see what life is all about. And so if you really want to love everybody and love always, you've got to stop comparing yourself to others. Secondly, you have to start enjoying God's grace to others. You need to be happy when God's blessing other people. Now this doesn't come natural either. You have to learn to rejoice in other people's prosperity. These these group, first group of day laborers, folks, they didn't do this. They were resentful, okay? They got contracted for a dollar a day, and the, the owner kept his promise. And yet they felt like they were cheated, and they resented others being given as much. Take a look at verses 10 and 11. The workers who had been hired first thought that they would be given more than the others. But when they were given... <clears throat> The same, they began complaining to the owner of the vineyard. And he said, are you envious because I am generous to them? Folks, they resent it. Now, last week, we took a look at Romans 12, verse 15. We looked at the first half of that verse that says, weep with those who weep. And I really believe that, honestly, it's easier to weep with those who are having some bad luck in their life than it is to rejoice I think it's easier to sympathize with someone who's hurting than it is for you and I to rejoice in someone else's prosperity, especially if we're not. We don't handle other people's successes that well. In fact, I believe we're threatened by it. And you want to know why? It's because we look at life as this big apple pie. And if somebody gets a slice of it, <gasps> there's less for me. Wrong. Guess what? I've God's got more pies. God's got more pie feeling. You want to see the opposite of that? Just go to one of those all-you-can-eat places. Okay, you, you know what I'm talking about? They bring out the new set of food, and boom, people are killing each other just to get there. Like that's the end of it. Okay, God's got more pie filling. He never runs out of blessings. If He blesses someone else, guess what? That doesn't mean that there's less for you and me. Here is a fact. Would you agree with this? That God doesn't bless us all the same way. Does he? No, he doesn't. He, he blesses us all differently, doesn't he? Some of us have good health. Others of us don't. Some of us have good achievements. Others of us don't. Some of us have good family life. Others of us don't. Folks, we've all been blessed in different ways. And yet what I have observed in 40 years of ministry is this. Envy comes in the areas that you and I are talented in or in the areas that you and I are interested in. Let me give you an example. Doctors envy other doctors. Athletes envy other athletes. Musicians envy other musicians. Pastors envy other pastors. I would have you know, I have never envied Scott Stein and Mike Neighbors. 
okay, our worship leader. Never, okay? Because I don't envy in areas that I have no talent in, okay? I, I have no talent when it comes to, to singing or clapping on beat whatsoever. You know that. But if it gets close to home, oh, the envy barometer goes up. And so realtors envy other realtors. And brothers envy other brothers. And sisters envy other sisters. And brother-in-laws envy other brother-in-laws. And sister-in-laws envy other sisters-in-law. Now, because envy is such a hidden thing, it's like the termites in your home. We don't think it's that bad. We don't think that it's as bad as those overt sins. Murder, stealing, adultery, okay? But the Bible says this is one mean sin. In fact, I believe it's the meanest sin because it's wishing bad on other people. It devalues other people. It looks at others critically. In fact, it criticizes others. Often, criticism is, the root of it is envy, unless it is constructive criticism. But the main thing that envy does is that it keeps you and I from entering into the joy of others. It keeps you and I from rejoicing and being happy in life. For instance, let's say, let's say you want to get married, but you haven't been able to get married. And then you hear of one of your friends having a bridal shower. And you become resentful. You can't enjoy it. Let's say you want to have a baby. And you have been unable to have a baby. And then you hear that there is a baby shower of a friend of yours. Or let's say you want a promotion, and you have been unable to get a promotion, and someone in your division or in your floor, in your group, gets a promotion, and you get mad, and you can't enjoy it. You're sitting and you're thinking, why not me? Why can't I have those things? And as a result, you don't enjoy much of what goes on in this world. In fact, you're miserable. If the only time that you can be happy in life is when good things are happening to you, then guess what? Then we're not going to be that happy, okay? On the other hand, if you and I can enter into the joy of others, if you and I can learn to enjoy the good things that others are experiencing, do you want to know something? We can be happy all the time. And so what I'm saying is this, that, that envy is a choice. You can choose to rejoice or you can choose to be resentful. If you choose to rejoice, you and I will have a whole lot more to be joyful about. And I believe the greatest place for that to happen is in biblical community. I think it's the best place of enjoying God's grace of others is in a biblical community. Where you and I not only share our sorrows, and pray for one another, but we rejoice in our victories. Not too long ago, maybe a month ago or so, one of the couples in our group became grandparents. High five, I says, 
It's a whole lot better than raising kids, I'm telling you. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know what? We need to have the attitude. I call it the grandparent attitude. You know what I'm talking about? A grandparent attitude is this. A grandchild comes to the grandparent and brags about their artwork, about the race that they won at school or something, right? And the grandparent doesn't think that they're bragging. You know what I'm talking about? They go, that is awesome. You are cool. You are the best. But if you talk to someone who doesn't have a grandparent attitude, you know what they do? They one-up you. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I just uh, redecorated the kitchen. Oh, well, we just bought a new house. There you go. <laughs> I just got a promotion and a $5,000 raise. <laughs> I got a 10000 bonus just yesterday. You notice how this works in relationships? It just undermines the love. You see, with grandparents, there's no guile. There's none whatsoever. As a grandchild, going to a grandparent, I remember, I did this, I did that, and they said, you are the best. But the problem is this, grandparents die, which means that you and I need to become grandparents to one another, where we don't one-up one another, but we rejoice and celebrate in what God is doing in your life. And God lays out this story that is anti-envy. Love doesn't envy. Don't compare. Start enjoying the, the grace that God is showing other people. The third thing he says is this, be grateful for what you have. Instead of focusing in on what you don't have, you focus in on what you do have. Now, this has to be learned as well. Instead of complaining like these workers did with what was happening, you and I need to learn and realize you and I would have nothing without God. Now, Paul elaborates on this in 1 Corinthians 4. Take a look at this. Isn't everything you have and everything you are sheer gifts from God? So what's the point of all this comparing and competing? You already have all you need. Envy is based on the myth that I have to have more in order to be happy, or I have to have something that I don't have in order to be happy. And envy always gets caught up in looking at other people and saying, why them? Why them and not me? Why can't I have those things? But gratitude says, look at what I've got that I don't even deserve. Now, like I said earlier, it's hard to admit that we're envious. And one of the reasons is that envy is an ugly emotion towards other people. It is an, it is an emotion where you want other people to fail. And when they do, there's something inside of us that feels good about it. And so it's hard to admit envy. It's hard to admit envy because to admit envy is to admit that I am inadequate. That I don't have what it takes, maybe, to do what they did or to have what they have. And so we don't like this emotion. And that's why it is the silent killer of relationships. 
if we could just be grateful for what we have, you know what would happen? That war on the inside would calm down. This is what the preacher of Ecclesiastes talked about in Ecclesiastes 6, 9. It is better to be satisfied with what you have than to always be wanting something else. I already have more than what I need. Now, don't misunderstand me. Envy is not dreaming or desires or goals to have something that you want to see happen in your life. That's not envy. Envy instead is resenting somebody who already has what you're dreaming about that you don't have. Does that make sense? God wants us to dream. He wants us to have desires. He wants us to have ambition, but not at the expense of seeing others suffer as a result. God's got a big pie, and he's got lots of pies. Amen. So you stop comparing. You start enjoying God's grace towards others. You're grateful for what you've got. Fourth, you trust God when life seems unfair. When life isn't going your way. You relax and you trust God. I love the song that we sang before we closed, our wor- the, the worship time of singing. You know, it is well with my soul. I'm going to keep my eyes on you in the storm. You and I need to do that when life isn't going like you and I expect it to go. We need to trust that God knows. If you start saying, you know what, that's just unfair. It's just unfair, God. What's happened is you've probably already fallen into envy. And you need to trust God in that area. In this story, these workers felt like they were treated unfairly. And not because they weren't given what the owner had promised them. No, it was because other people got the same amount. And they thought they were better. We put in a full day's work. We sweated 12 hours, we're better than they are. Take a look at this. You see this in this verse. These last workers have put in only one easy hour, (laughs) and yet you have made them equal to us. Do you hear the envy? I mean, that's oozing with envy. We're better than they are. We've slaved all day. And yet they're expressing this to their owner which happens to be, in this story, God. Listen to his response. Friends, I didn't cheat you. I paid you exactly what we agreed on. What business is it of yours if I want to pay them the same that I paid you? Don't I have the right to do whatever I want to with my own money? Do you see what's going on here? They're having a battle with one another. When you and I are envious and we cry out, well, this is just not fair. Do you know who we're really in battle with? Battling with? God. You're doubting God's goodness in your life. You're resenting God's blessings towards other people. You're accusing God of being unfair. You think God doesn't love you as much as he loves other people. Folks, that's just not true. God loves everybody and always unconditionally across the board. 
And the bottom line, though, is that you and I just need to trust. We need to trust God for what we want or for what we don't have. This is tough. It really is. Especially as we live in Collin County, one of the most prosperous counties in the nation. I think it's the eighth prosperous county in the nation. Unbelievable, okay, with what's going on here. And it's easy in our thinking to subtly think that God is duty-bound to give me what I want. That he is a genie in a bottle. That he is a slot machine. That I throw in a couple of quarters, I pull the rank, and I win the jackpot. No, God's God. God's God. And I'm not. And he loves me as much as he loves everybody else. And he's got a perfect plan for my life and for your life. And anytime I start doubting that, I'm the one who's fallen out of love with him and not he with me. And so you need to trust God when life seems unfair. The fifth antidote that Jesus brings out in this, what I call Occupy Wall Street story, is this. Keep focused on God's plan for you. Whatever you do, don't get distracted with other, peop- other, or other people's plans plans that God has for them. Center in on God's will for your life. Notice this phrase that the owner uses in verse 14. Take your money now and go. It's as if he's saying, guys, get a life. Get over it. Move on. You see, what he's saying there is this. Whatever you do, Don't get stuck on what you didn't get, causing you to miss out on God's plan for you now. And God does have a plan. God has got a plan. I love that song. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Live for the audience of one person. He's got a plan for your life. And though it doesn't seem like it's working out then, trust God. God has a plan. He's got a particular race for your life. I guarantee it. The writer of Hebrews mentions this in Hebrews 12, verse 1. He says, let us run with patience the particular race. Will you circle that word particular race that God has set before us? That means it's a unique race, a race that is unique only for you. And that race, God started when you were in the womb. Psalms 139, verse 15 says, you saw me before I was born and scheduled every day of my life before I began to breathe. You see, God has shaped you for a unique purpose. Don't miss it. And God, knowing this plan that he has for your life, with all the good and the bad and the ugly that's all mixed in together, he created a family. And that family is called the church. Because kids need families. And that's why I'm excited about Care Portal. Kids need families, and God has placed you in a family so that you can discover your unique purpose in life. For us, we describe the strategy and the process of becoming that fully functioning follower of Jesus Christ through the track. It's the race that God wants us to run. You enter into the race, and you come to a celebration service, and in that service, you are stimulated. There's something about the music and coming together that just causes your heart to pump a little faster, but that's not the end goal. If you think coming to church is just the end goal of life, you're sadly mistaken. God wants you to get committed, committed to Christ and committed to a family. 
Because that's where support comes. From there, you go, and as you run your race, you come to commit. And commit is about getting in a little smaller group. It is about knowing that you're cared for, where people know your name. And it's where you grow. That is where stability is met in your life. And then from there, you run the race to serve. And in there, you discover your God-given shape, the unique purpose, your personality, your gifts, your, the experiences in life, all those things mixed together. You, you begin to see, this is who God made me to be. And that is where self-expression comes in. From there, it doesn't stop. It goes right on in to sharing your story, listening to other people's story, and understanding how they come together through Christ's story. And that's where significant comes. And you go back out into the world, and you bring them back in, and you do it all over again. And God has designed the church to help you get there. Now, I mention all that because in this story, Jesus comes to this shocking conclusion. You see, envy is about me. And the greatest antidote beyond living in a biblical community is about serving other people. And God says, when you get that right, when you figure that out, then you're going to be a whole lot more satisfied and your relationships are going to be a whole lot more enriched. Listen to this it like this. So it is that many who are first now will be last. He's talking about heaven. And those who are last now will be first then. If you want to be great, you must become the servant, circle that word, of all the others. Folks, there are three greats in the Bible. The great co commandment, love God and love your neighbor. The great commission, go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then this one, the great reversal. What he's saying here is this. None of the things that you and I envy here on earth, sex, status, salary, possessions, power, prestige, all those things that you and I envy here on earth, aren't going to matter when you and I get in heaven. When you and I get to heaven, God is going to evaluate your life and my life, not on sex, status, and salary, but rather on service. He says, if you want to be great in God's eyes, scramble to the bottom. Learn to serve as many people as you can. If you want fame that's going to last for eternity, become a servant of all. And so my question to us as we leave this attribute, and we're just getting into this, is this. How much are you a servant at home? How much are you a servant at your workplace? How much are you a servant at church? How much are you and I a servant in our community? Our church has a heart for this, this world, this community that we live in. And we're trying to figure out every way that we can to serve it. Outrun homelessness, now care for one another. Because God says this, love isn't a feeling. It's not something you talk about. Rather, love is something that you do. I say this, 
Let our church be the greatest loving church in Collin County. Let's pray. Lord, I am humbled to think of your blessing towards my life and how rich I am because of your grace towards me. And yet, God, I see at the same time how I complain and I grumble and how I wish I had just a little bit more. And yet miss opportunities because of me not focusing in and meeting people's needs that are right in my relational world. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for not meeting the needs of my wife like I should. God, I'm sorry that I don't meet all my kids' needs and my grandkids especially, God. God, I'm sorry for the things and the indifference that I have for people that I care about in this church. But I thank you, God, for your grace, for your mercy, for your forgiveness. God, grow our hearts. Grow our hearts in what mattered most to you, the very reason that you put us on this earth. Love. Love those who are the closest to us. God, I pray. I pray for our church, God. Grow our hearts, God. Grow our hearts for one another. Build biblical, or build genuine, authentic, biblical community. God, build our hearts with love for our larger community. Help us. We're not here for ourselves, God. We're here for you. There are people that you want us to share your story with. Help us. I don't know where you're at this morning, where you're at in your relational world, but you can't start loving the way God wants you to love until you accept God's love for you. You can't give what you don't have. This morning, if you haven't established a relationship with Him genuinely, heartfelt-wise, will you do that? I beg you. Just say this, God, I admit I've blown it. But I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. That you resurrected from the grave to prove that what you said I could take to the bank. And right now, I commit myself to you, God. Work in me and work through me. I want to love like you. And if you prayed that prayer, as simple as it was, will you let me know? On your communication card, will you just write your name, maybe an email address, write the check the box on the back saying, I'm giving my life to Christ for the very first time. And when I get those, I'll mail you some literature. Again, God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your favor. Teach us, God. We want to grow. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.